Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. Our mission is to help fathers be present by sharing valuable ideas and concepts that will equip men to be the best father possible. Being a good father is hard work, but it is so vitally important. We believe that dads matter, and that's why this podcast is for you. So gear up, dads, and get ready. It's time to start climbing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very, very special episode of the Present Fathers podcast. We are joined tonight by Dr. Bill Harley. Uh, he is a, a, a giant in the world of saving marriages, and uh, so we are just super thrilled to have him on tonight. So Dr. Harley, uh, over to you. We'd love to hear uh, just kind of how you got started, what, what led you to writing the book, His Needs, Her Needs, and then all the subsequent books that you've written. And all the work you've done with marriage builders and and what you've done uh really your entire career so over to you sir oh well, i'm delighted to be with you you have a very important mission that i fully support i started out in um uh math and uh, computer science and uh, this was at a time that computers really hadn't been around that long and um i um did some work in artificial intelligence and that got people's attention. And I was uh, offered a fast track through a PhD program in psychology. Up to that point, I thought that psychologists were not really scientific. I wouldn't call them scientists. I would call them people that were had wishful thinking uh, and meant well, but that was about it. And the idea that I would become a psychologist was something I hadn't anticipated, even though my father was one. And uh, I was going to go into the field of, of, of physics and computer science. So um, I get my PhD in psychology in a very short period of time. I didn't ever have a psychology class in college. So I got in because of my interest in artificial intelligence. So my, my background is really science and math. And so um, I start out as a psychologist. I started teaching psychology. And um, people kept coming to me with their marital problems. <laughs> and I think I was thinking, you know, well, you know, I'll give it a shot. I, I my dad was a marriage counselor. I didn't think he'd ever did anybody much good. But you know, people like to talk to somebody. So marriage counseling probably has its place. So they would come to me with problems and um, I couldn't ever help them. And of course, my feeling was that marriage counseling really didn't work anyway. I didn't think that I could add anything to what is already being done. I, to me, it was kind of a mystery. So at the age of, what was I, probably 30, and it's kind of interesting to be a to be a counselor to somebody who's 30 years older than you are, um, hard to create credibility. Um, but I decided at the age of 30 that I was going to be a marriage counselor. And um, because I felt people were needing it. 
And uh, I, I was teaching at the time. And uh, so people would come into my, my office and I did some marriage counseling. <clears throat> and um, I really wasn't any good at it. Um, I couldn't help anybody. And so I decided to do an internship. And I went to the most, um, one of the most highly respected clinics um, in the nation, which happened to be in Minneapolis. And um, I took two years of internship there. And I got to know everybody. They claimed to have a 90% success rate. And I got to where I uh, saw everybody's notes. And I saw, knew what the, knew what the, I knew what the clients were. I knew how it turned out. And nobody's getting helped. Uh, I would follow up. Uh, they would be discharged and I would call them up. I'd say, how are you doing? Well, we're about to get divorced. Well. You know, they were discharged, but nobody followed up. Nobody knew what they were up to. Um, the director of the clinic was divorced shortly after I left. And um, one of the people who supervised me got divorced. Um, so I figured that I had, to, I had to figure this thing out. And, of course, knowing that I'm, kin I, I'm kind of a curious person by nature, um, that there ought to be a solution to this. I mean, finding a solution to marital problems can't be that difficult. And <laughs> so I, I got to work and looked at, okay, what, what do you think it might be? What do you think might save marriages? Nobody seems to know. Um, there was a 1965 study done on the effectiveness of various forms of therapy. And marriage therapy got the lowest ratings of every form of therapy that there was. And that study was replicated in 1985, and the same result came. Wow. That only 25% felt that it had done them any good whatsoever, and, and many of them felt that it had been more harm than good. So I said, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to do more harm than good, that's for sure, but I, I want to figure this thing out. And with my background in behavioral psychology, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe um, there is something to the idea of romantic love that I need to pay attention to. Because the people that would be coming in to see me about their marriage problems, who were mostly committed Christians, by the way, would tell me that they were going to get divorced. And I'd say, you yeah, know, what about your commitment? Haven't you mm. decided that you're going to stay married because of your relationship to God, you know, it's God's will. Yeah, but they just didn't feel that the marriage was going anywhere. And then they weren't in love with each other. We're not in love. I said, well, that's not a reason to get divorced just because you're not in love. Now, of course, Joyce and I were in love. We were in love. I couldn't imagine being with her without being in love. So, I mean, I thought to myself, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's something I'll look into. And so I started studying romantic love as an academic pursuit. And uh, there were very few people that were actually studying romantic love and what it took to be in love. I actually started doing research with the students that I had. And of course, if you're at a college, people are falling in and out of love all the time. Right. And uh, so you've got, you've got a kind of a Petri dish of being in love. So that you have can really look at this thing and discover 
okay, what is it? What is it? And and I knew that I was in love, but I didn't know why I was in love. And I knew Joyce was in love with me. We could not have, if, if somebody had asked us, why, what, what accounts for the reason that you're in love? I would have come up with some ridiculous thing, but it wouldn't have been the answer. And so um, I decided that I would use my behavioral background to come up with a theory that romantic love is nothing more than the association of somebody with intense feelings of pleasure. So the idea is that I look Pavlov's dog as my as my example. Um, you shine a blue light with food, and the dog salivates. And um, you shine the blue light all by itself after a few uh, combinations of that, and the dog will salivate. Okay, so, all right, so maybe romantic love is nothing more than just associating a spouse with good feelings. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to run with that theory. And so I decided to actually do some research on what would make people feel good in marriage. And um, I had a few ideas, but I didn't want to bias the, the study. So I just asked people, I asked people, what could your spouse do that would make you happy? And um, they would give me reasons and, and basically write things down. And uh, so after talking to, I don't know, probably 50, 60, maybe it could have a hundred people. Um, I came up with a number of ideas and so what I did then was I, I asked my students to classify the ideas into categories. Give me categories. So here's what they're telling me. Give me a category that that fits. And the students and I came together with 10 categories. So 10, 10 categories that all represented uh, what a spouse could do that would make them feel good. And it was affection. Uh, intimate conversation, sexual fulfillment, recreation, companionship, honesty and openness, uh, domestic support, uh, family commitment, admiration. And this is the list of 10 things that I thought, you know, these are things that make people feel good. So, um, so then I gave, then I had a list for people to choose from. And, and if you're doing a survey, Asking people to come up with something out of the blue is really tough. It's better to have right. them check things off a list. Right. See? So I um, I gave them a list. I gave them a list of 10 things. And then I had extra at the bottom. They could answer. They could add a few other things if they wanted. What could your spouse do that would make you the happiest? And um, I used that list for my counseling. I just said, Whatever it is your spouse says that would make you the happiest, do it. <laughs> you know, and uh, make I love how simple happy. it is. Yeah, and uh, uh, the husband has to do things that are on the wife's list, and the wife has to do things that are on the husband's list. And man, I I was extremely successful. Um, now, I lived at a time in our society where 
you could tell a woman to have sex with her husband and she would do it. Uh, we don't live that way anymore. You can't <laughs> no. achieve that objective. But I would tell I would tell a husband, you know, what she wants is conversation. Give her three hours of conversation and she'll make love to you. And sure enough, he comes up with three hours of conversation. She has sex with him. Um, they both come in telling me, mm, he tells me it's a lot of work just to have sex. She says, <laughs> I don't think it's right for a man to tell a woman to have sex. Nowadays, I can't do I cannot accomplish that objective. If a couple comes into me, I can't get her to have sex with them. And sometimes I can't get the husband to talk to her for three hours. So, but in the beginning, it was pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. Another one of the things I noticed, though, about the list, and I had a lot of people fill it out. Um, maybe when I got to 200 couples, I noticed that men were checking off one thing and women were checking off something else. And so on average, men would come up with five of the emotional needs that were listed and women would come up with the other five. And since I would focus on mostly one and two, uh, with a kind of attention to the other three, but not all five. I ended up with five things for the average man, five things for the average woman. In 1986, by this time I had quit teaching. I went into clinical psychology full time. I had 32 clinics. Uh, three, 200 people were working with me. Um, and... I was on a roll when it came to marital therapy. Place was packed. I had people coming from all over the United States. And I taught a Sunday school class on marriage. And in the class, I got, I got, uh, I went through the 10 emotional needs. And I said, these are the needs of, these are the needs of the average man. These are the needs of the average woman. And um, somebody did did record the actual Sunday school class. And over time, somebody else transcribed it. Hmm. And then somebody that I was counseling saw the transcription, took it to his boss at Ravel, and the rest is history. They published the book. Uh, the and, transcription, and, that, and that book is transcription his needs of my needs, Sunday right? school. Yeah. yeah, transcription of my Sunday school class. So this one right here, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Now the book, of course, has sold. I don't know. The, on there it says two million copies. Actually, I I have been paid for five million copies. Wow. Um, the um, we it, it comes in twenty four languages. Uh, that's the hardcover version of it. It comes in in paperback. It comes as as you know in audio books, uh, ebooks are out there. So it comes in a whole variety of ways, but it is without a doubt a barn burner. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that this would happen. I just thought, man, I'm on to something. And I had really not written anything prior to this. And um it, it took off not because I'm such a great writer, but because the ideas are really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, so over time, people have used this book to um, to make a point that is extremely important. And that is whatever it is your spouse needs, 
for crying out loud, get to be good at meeting. Right. Yeah. Learn uh, learn how to be a good husband or wife by understanding your spouse and learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, then I branched out into more of a fuller way of looking at marriage. I thought, okay, there's more to marriage than just making your spouse happy. Turns out another big part of it is avoiding making your spouse unhappy. And people are really good at making each other unhappy. And so I, so I got to work at figuring out, I did essentially the same thing. You know, what does your spouse do to make you unhappy? And I came up with six categories that I call love busters. And they are demands, disrespect, anger, dishonesty, um, annoying habits, and independent behavior. And again, that pretty well covers the waterfront. And um, so I came up with the book Love Busters. So that was the next book I did. Um, And then I'm also very much aware that problem solving is a big deal. And again, if you want to think about making love bank deposits and avoiding withdrawals, which was the concept that I used in His Needs Earnings. I said, you know, think think of each other as having a love bank that when you meet each other's emotional needs, you're making love bank deposits. When you're hurting each other, you're making withdrawals. If you get enough deposits by meeting each other's, by making each other really happy, you're going to breach your romantic love threshold. You're going to be in love with each other. But if you hurt each other and annoy each other and just make, make yourselves a nuisance, yeah, you could, in fact, get to where you dislike each other or below zero. And if you got too deep and in the negative range, you might actually come to hate each other, which is something I experienced a lot in my counseling where people would come to me hating each other. They never hated anybody before. And mm-hmm. as Christians, we're not supposed to hate anybody. And so they find themselves, here I am married to somebody I hate. What am I going to do? Well, they had managed to associate their spouse with their worst experiences, and enough love units were withdrawn. So now they were deeply in the red. So all that kind of comes together. And I think, all right, there's one more area that I haven't talked about, and that is problem solving. So you've got to solve your problems in a way that makes love bank deposits and avoids withdrawals. And so I came up with the idea of the policy of joint agreement. Never do anything without an enthusiastic agreement between you and your spouse. And what that does is make sure that your lifestyle is something that you both enjoy and that you're not making choices about your life Mm. that hurt each other. So don't do anything unless you're both on board, unless you both agree. And so that's kind of the third part that comes together to make marriages great. I might make one more point, and that is that I have a theory of marriage where I say that marriage is a relationship of extraordinary care. Mm. Um, And if you are providing extraordinary care for each other, you will be in love. And so being in love is a litmus test of whether you're achieving extraordinary care for each other. And the three things you have to remember is um, meet each other's important emotional needs, avoid love busters, 
and make your decisions in a way that both of you can agree on the outcome. And, you know, you can look at that and say, oh, that's pretty simple. I think I can do that. And for many people, it is. For many people, oh, wow, Dr. Harley, I hadn't thought about that before. And off they go and they're happy, happy right. ever after. Uh, and then others that I have to work with for maybe a year or two takes them that long before they can get into the hang of things. But I've got a lot of disciples that agree with me, but find it hard to actually implement what I'm trying to get them to do. So I'm still at my age of 81, I'm still working with couples every day of the week uh, that are struggling with this. Some people, they can just read the book and off they go and they're, they're happily yeah. ever after. And others, you got to work with them a little bit <laughs> to make sure, make sure it happens. That's, well, that's long and the short of it. That's impressive that at 81, you're still fighting the good fight. Uh, yep. And for everyone who's aware, uh, Dr. Harley has what's called Marriage Builders. This is what the, the landing page of his website looks like. It's, I, think, I believe it's just marriagebuilders.com. Uh, yep. And, you know, if you spend even just a few minutes looking through the resources on that website, there are a ton of free resources that cover a lot of these topics that he just walked over. So definitely check that out um, and you won't go wrong. <laughs> I might mention that the at the top right hand corner, you push the button and you'll hear Joyce and I doing our radio show every day. And um, we uh, have a radio show that is broadcast on some radio stations, but it's also a podcast. So you hear it from the beginning. And um, and uh, we also have an app so that you can bring it up on your cell phone. So we, we enjoy doing that. We've been doing this together for almost 20 years now. That's awesome. Well, we're just starting here on the Present Fathers podcast, but maybe we'll be doing this for 20 plus years. So. <laughs> <laughs> It is fun, I'll tell you. It, it is a lot it. of fun, yeah. So yeah. Uh, if, if I can, just thanks again for joining and, and giving us your background. Um, Brandon, I think you wanted to talk maybe a little bit about healthy boundaries, not just not maybe not just in your relationship, but also as a parent, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I feel like um, setting a standard uh, to which your wife and you can live is such a, is an important thing. And I know you touch on it in the book. And I, I just wanted to ask, what are some some healthy boundaries that um, viewers or listeners can can utilize to, to make their their marriage healthier uh, in, in the boundaries department? Yeah, basically, um, ideally, you shouldn't have to have boundaries in the sense that if you are thoughtful, you follow the policy of joint agreement, you're not going to make choices that the other person doesn't agree with. Um, you're going to go to a great deal of trouble to learn to become the person who meets your spouse's emotional needs, and you're going to avoid love busters. You don't need boundaries. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, those rules pretty much take care of the problem. Um, yeah. I wrote an article in New Man Magazine, um, which was very popular. I don't know if you guys have ever come across it before. I don't think it's in print anymore, but um, it's for Christian men on why women leave men. And uh, in that book, I talked about a problem that men often have, and that is that they make choices without including their spouse's interests in those choices. And the purpose of the book was to encourage them to follow what I call the policy of joint agreement. Don't do things unless you can both agree. 
And I use the example of a house where a man has various rooms in his house represents the roles he plays. And um, he tends not to invite his wife into all of the rooms. There can be a room for the family where he invites his wife and the room for lovemaking where he certainly does invite his wife. Um, but then he has his recreational activities that the door is locked. Uh, he has uh, hobbies that the door is locked. He might have friends um, that the door is locked. And the wife comes to the door and finds it locked, and she's horribly offended, horribly offended that there are these areas of his life that he's not including his wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, the research that I've done on divorce is that the number one cause of, of divorce is neglect. And it's a point that I made in that article that women tend to be the ones to divorce men, not the other way around. So if you're going to get a divorce, chances are your wife is going to be the one to file for it. And the reason she's going to file for it, chances are, is because you're neglecting her. You're not, in, you're not making her a part of your life. She's, you're not a partner with her. Now, that concept has an awful lot to do with fatherhood, which is your main topic. And my attitude about fatherhood is that raising children is a joint effort between you and your wife that basically, if you want to be a great father, two things. Number one is you got to be in love with your wife and your wife has to be in love with you. That's Point number one, you're in love with each other. Point number two, you make all of your child-rearing decisions together. You come to your children as a united front. And neither one of you is trying to get something for the children or get the children that, that isn't something that the other spouse is backing you up on and enthusiastic about it. Now, yes, the business of yes, the business of boundaries. And you can see that with my approach to things, what boundaries would there be? I mean, what? what you're doing, you know, what you're doing is you are in a partnership. And I, I think of my partnership with my wife as being similar to my partnership with with the Lord. Um, I make my decisions with him in mind. Um, he leads me now, Joyce, I could say Joyce leads me, uh, you know, I lead her, she leads me. We're both in this thing together. And in growing up, our children knew that whatever either one of us wanted them to do was something we both wanted them to do. Um, Another, let me just say a couple things just on the topic of fatherhood. Number one, never, ever lose your temper with your children or anyone else for that matter. One of the things that I put a great deal of emphasis in is the love buster angry outbursts. It's one of the six. And as far as I'm concerned, angry outbursts is horrible. 
And not only as a, as a parent are you going to find yourself far less effective in raising your children, but it is also going to tend to ruin your marriage. And so one of the things fathers need to learn how to do is to never lose your temper with your children or your wife or anyone else. I put a great deal of emphasis on that. Number two, never discipline your children in any way, shape, or form without your spouse's enthusiastic agreement. Now, that comes with rewards as well. I'm dealing with a couple right now where the father is giving the children anything they want. And it's driving the mother crazy because, first of all, she's feeling that they're getting things without having earned it, you know, um, and it's making her look bad because she's always saying, oh, we shouldn't be doing that, you know, and the kids get the impression. My father is, is a giver of all good things and my mother is a horrible <laughs> person because she isn't giving us anything. So make sure your gifts and your discipline is with each other. The third point is make sure you are consistent. Don't tell your kids to do one thing when you're in a good mood and something else when you're in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I think working together as a husband and wife, you're going to find yourselves more consistent because you're going to draw each other back. Yeah. Um, so anyway, those are kind of the guidelines that I like to give. I like to give men. I, I think men are faced with an enormous responsibility right now that they never had to face a hundred years ago. Um, when I was counseling back in the seventies, America was going through a major crisis when it came to marriage. Mm -hmm. um, traditional marriage was becoming a thing of the past. I predicted in 19, 85 in an article I wrote that by the year 2040 marriages wouldn't exist anymore. Wow. Um, this year we have more single adults than we have married adults in America. Uh, marriage is on its way out. Traditional marriage where a husband and wife commit to each other, they raise their kids together, they love each other, and form a family bond. That is becoming a thing of the past. Wow. And it's tragic, and I don't know how to stop it. I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. All I know is that our culture has been moving in that direction since I first started counseling, and it has continued to move in that direction even to this day. And so what you guys are doing to teach fathers to be good fathers, also helping to keep men good fathers and good husbands, because the stress right now on men, I think, is enormous. I think the responsibilities of men are much greater than they ever were. Um, I, I would say... First, I'd say that women are harder to please nowadays than they used to be. <laughs> you know, when it comes to meeting emotional needs, I, women will always tell me uh, five. I, I want six. <laughs> or I want seven. <laughs> you know, five isn't good yeah. enough. You know, and for men to do a good job as a husband and to go do a good job as a father and to have a career 
and to be strong in the church and be happy, you know, it takes a lot of thought, yeah. you know, as how to, how to do all of this. So for you guys to set an example for other men, I think is great. And um, I, for one, am saying that, you know, I lived in an era where my wife, who was very qualified as a career person, uh, she's a, she, she is a vocalist, she has done concerts, she has uh, done radio in past, but she was a stay-at-home mom. We don't have very many stay-at-home moms anymore. Yeah. And it makes life a lot more complicated when you have two careers. And um, I'm not, and both of my children, both of my children, um, are the wives are professionals. My son's wife is a professional person. My daughter is a professional. She's a PhD in psychology. They were both stay-at-home moms. And um, it makes life a lot simpler. But I will say this, that if you are married to a career person, I have more power to you. I, I encourage it. I love it. I think women having careers is, is great. But it makes life a lot more complicated when you're married. So yep. there it's you another, have it. It's another logistical thing to figure out. Exactly. Um, I, I, you were talking about how marriage is on the decline. I'm, I'm curious because uh, I know you counsel people from all over the world, uh, from you know all different walks of life and religions and, and faiths. Um, are you seeing that just across the board, or is that kind of an American problem? What, what's the, what's your assessment? Well, it was, here? it was more of a European problem before it became an American problem. Mm -hmm. But um, America and Europe is struggling with it. Western culture in general struggles with marriage. Third world countries don't have as much trouble with it, um, but it is an issue that I think is coming worldwide. I think that Western culture is setting an example uh, for the rest of the world. And that's one of the things that is their example, mm. that you don't have to be married. And um, you can be single and you get divorced. You can have affairs. I have to tell you about a funny story. I was invited by Sally Jesse Raphael to give a, uh, to, to be on TV years ago. I don't know if any of you, probably none of, none of you have ever seen Sally Jesse Raphael. Do I have that right? Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> she used, she used to be the Oprah Winfrey okay. of the 1980s. Well, she invited me to come on her show to talk about his attorneys. His attorneys had just come out. And I was on with two women, one that wrote a book on how women should have affairs because it will stretch them and become better people. And the other woman was a publisher of a woman's magazine. It was very, very liberal, very feminist. And uh, the room was full of women. One, 200 women in the audience, not a man in sight, not a, not a camera person was a man. There was no men. I was it. Okay. And so there I was with all these feminists and I was talking about the value of marriage and I was talking about infidelity being like heroin addiction 
and it would destroy people. And that infidelity is about the worst thing anybody could possibly do to another human being. And to write a book about how to have it is to write, like write a book about how to murder people. Wow. So I did I said that <laughs> on the show. You know? Sure, it went over really well. A, I got a standing ovation. I got really? a standing from the audience. And Sally, at the end of the show, said, this book is one of the best I've ever read. Bricks it up. Says that if I had had this book 15 years ago, my, my life would have changed for the better. Hmm. I encourage everybody to buy this book. Okay, this came out a year after the book was published, and it hadn't, it wasn't in any bookstores. It was just sitting there in the yeah. warehouse. And as soon as I was on that show, it was ordered by bookstores all over the country. We sold out of the first 3,000 copies in a flash. They printed another 10,000. Those were gone in no time. And and they started printing 50,000 at a time, which they've been doing ever since. Um, so, you know, I, that's an interesting story about yeah. how as it's, a, it's as a man, it, right? As a man, I can reach a woman when I tell her that there's a real downside to doing things that hurt a family. And if you can be a great mother and you can be a great wife, you're going to have the greatest things in life. Uh, now, you need a husband who's a great father and a great husband. But the point that I've made over and over again is that married life is terrific. And it is what God intended. He tells men to leave their father and mother and cleave to a woman who will be your wife. And the two of you will become one. We read that in Genesis chapter 3. Now, what's wrong with being single? Well, you know, I love a lot of single people. But I will say this. Being married is terrific if you follow marriage in the way that God had intended, sure. which is you care for each other in an extraordinary way. And that's the message I've been delivering now for 50 years. That's awesome. Right. Wow. <laughs> so, so my my wife, my wife wanted to inform me that she knows who you're talking about on that show. So. <laughs> so we're we're all the guys just dragging our knuckles here. Clearly, yeah. So, um, so Dr. Harley, what um, just I guess kind of do just a quick overview. So maybe um, the amount of patients you've been treating, how long, and how long you've been married to uh, to Miss Joyce. Well, uh, I married Joyce when I was uh, twenty one. I'm eighty one now, so we've been married for sixty years. Joyce was, Joyce was 19, so she's two years younger. She probably didn't want me to talk about her age. Um, I dated her for, I knew her for six years before we were married. I fell in love with her the moment I saw her. She was only 13 at the time, but we were at a beach party and I was impressed. And I started dating her a year later, and she broke up with me on numerous occasions for things that I did that were what you'd call immature, like give her a bag that had a snake in it because I thought that'd be fun. 
and uh, hiding her purse and doing all sorts of other very immature things. And um, eventually I caught on. I, I began to learn what it took to get a girl to like you. <laughs> and 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 most guys, you know, girls have to teach them how to be a good date. And um, but you lose them in the process. I mean, you know, they don't ever date you again. Right. Joyce kept giving me one chance after another. And finally, <laughs> I got it figured out and she fell in love with me and we were married. And, and so that basically we've been a. We've been in love for all those years. Um, I've counseled <clears throat> hundreds of thousands of people. Wow. Um, of course, because of my book and radio show and my website, I've reached millions. Um, my son, interestingly enough, <clears throat> has uh, counseled somebody in every state of our nation and 40 countries. Wow. So my son is picking up where I'm leaving off someday, but he does a lot of counseling and he works with marriage builders and he has also counseled thousands and thousands of couples. So we do a lot of counseling. We, 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 we see a lot of people, we influence a lot of people and some people I counsel for a couple of weeks and they're on their way. Some people I counsel for a month, some people I counsel for years. Uh, but the basic idea is that my attitude is I'm very optimistic about helping people. And even if it takes years, it's still worth doing. Absolutely. Sure. And, and that's not the only way you were doing it. You had, um, if I remember you said correctly, uh, that you had others who were helping you counsel and, you know, got to go dive into that real fast. And then I think Brandon has a question for us as well. Um, yeah, well, what I, <laughs> uh, my 32 locations where I trained people to do the counseling, I got to a point where I didn't want to get, be an administrator anymore. Mm. And it was just too big. And so I got rid of all the clinics. I gave them, I gave it to all the people, all the training I had. I said goodbye to everybody. And I started my website in 1995. My son joined me, my daughter joined me, my wife joined me. We hired about 10 people to work with us for support. And I've been using my website ever since. I'm, I, I have tried to train people. Um, I've written a book called um, Effective Marriage Counseling that is for marriage counselors. You know, how do you, marry, how do, you do marriage counselor? Here's a book that will show you how to do it. Uh, but I'm not doing much training now anymore. Most most of my most of my work is is directly with couples that are having problems. Awesome. Um, I wanted to kind of go back to a few things. So one of the things um, you had asked a question about, like what kind of boundaries people set at our age, and I guess boundaries is is um, the definition of it for me is a little bit different. It's more of like guide rails. I liked how you said like guidelines, guide, guide rails, but it's, it's more of setting a standard of expectations like you had said. And so like a good example is like a lot of uh, people will either cuss or yell or scream or do things at each other. It's, it's them versus the other person instead of them versus the problem. 
And so like, those are the kind of um, things that I try to encourage when I speak of boundaries. But um, one of the questions. Okay. Basically I would say, you know, if, if you want to call that a love buster, here are things yeah. not to do. Don't do right. these things. I would call those boundaries. And I would say, right. don't make demands. Don't be disrespectful. Don't be angry. Uh, don't right. be dishonest with each other. Don't make decisions that don't include the interests of the other person. Now, if you want to call that sure. generally the book on boundaries has a different meaning. <clears throat> if you read the book boundaries, <clears throat> it has a different meaning. It, it basically is what you can't tell your spouse to do kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, now I would argue that, yeah, that could be included in that. Uh, if you think about the policy of joint agreement, and you're not going to do anything that you don't both agree to enthusiastically, you're basically getting rid of boundaries mm, from my perspective. That makes sense. You know? I, think, I think for me personally and just my own you know, journey and doing a lot of counseling and things like that, uh, I think boundaries applies more to people that aren't your spouse. Uh, you know, say a, a trouble, a troublesome family member or someone who, you know, I, things like that. I think that term makes a lot more sense because they're not an intimate relationship necessarily. Um, I mean, yes. Does that make sense to you or? Yeah. Don't let other people uh, control your lives. Right. Um, and um, learn how to say no. Assertiveness training really is what we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, no, I'd agree. I would be in agreement with that. For okay. Sure. Okay, so one of the questions I had, um, just for the audience's sake, uh, in case they haven't read the book, what are the five needs of a man and the five needs of a woman uh, that you found through your studies? On average, and you got to yeah, say, average. I mean, really, sure, when sure, I wrote, part. <laughs> I rewrote, I rewrote um, my book. It just came out this year. Uh, His needs, her needs. We took the we took the subtitle out. Subtitle was "Building in a Fairproof Marriage." It's been that way for thirty five years. Uh, now the subtitle is Making Romantic Love Last. That's a new subtitle, okay? There is less of an emphasis on infidelity, but it's still there. It's still there big time. Um, the reason was that my editors were millennials, and they were millennial women. <laughs> and they were telling me that my list of Needs for men and women are outdated. That women don't have these five needs. Because they're they the experts, have, right? They have the male needs. They, and they said, and, and one of them especially said that my number one need is sexual fulfillment. So what are you going to do with that? And um, so I, I, have to, I have to say that on average, even today in our society, yes, indeed, these five needs do, in fact, describe the average man. Now, that doesn't mean that the average man, if you talk about a man, is going to have all five of them. Mm -hmm. Might sure. only have four. Sure. Might only have three. But if you add them all up, on average, these are the top five for men. So I, I start out by saying, don't don't let me tell you what your needs are. Use right. my emotional needs questionnaire. It's free of charge. You can get it on my website, marriagebuilders.com. Go to the questionnaire section. You can download it. It's there for the taking. Fill out the questionnaire. I'm not telling you what your emotional needs are. But on average, the top five emotional needs for men 
is sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, admiration, physical attractiveness, and domestic support. All for women, the average emotional needs are affection, intimate conversation, honesty and openness, family commitment, and financial support. Financial support. There you go. I was asked that when I when I first when I first was on TV. <laughs> I, I told him, I said, don't ask me to remember the 10. What do you Sorry. think the first, what do you think the first question what are the was? 10, what are the 10? What are the 10? Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of a lot. I mean, but you're you know, you know, I gotta get, I gotta get these, re, I gotta get these down. But um, yeah. And I think that, you know, there are many couples where they would say, you know, those aren't our mind. And my, my point is do whatever makes each other the happiest. That's the point. Right. And the fact that men's needs aren't the same as women's needs kind of identifies a problem. And that is that you're probably not going to have much empathy for the other person if your needs are not the same. Mm-hmm. And um, if a woman doesn't have much of a need for sex and, and her husband does have a craving for sex all the time, he's thinking about it all day long. And she thinks that he's just weird, you know. <laughs> well, a man might come to the same conclusion if she's thinking that, you know, I've got to do this or that or the other thing that she wants that he doesn't feel the same need for. And so a conversation is a good example. I think men generally, you know, conversation is great, but I'd rather have sex. And so the basic idea is, okay, Again, you think about a couple going to bed at night at 10 o'clock and she wants to talk and he wants to make love. All right. This is this is so common, you know, and she's too tired to make love. He's too tired to talk. And that tells you a little bit about how much you get out of this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, A woman can wake up a man in the middle of the night and say, how would you like to make love? He's there. He's Sounds ready. great. Sounds like <laughs> a good go. idea. But if she wakes him up and says, "You know, I've been thinking about something. I'd like to. I'd like to talk to you about something." Doesn't work too Ooh. well. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, and I think of men that can that can wake a woman up and say, "You know, I'd, I'd like to talk something over with you." And there are women out there that will wake up in the middle of the night and say, "Yeah." I'd like to talk to you about this issue. Hmm. I'm glad you woke me up to talk about it. It has to do with how much you need it, how much right. you want this so badly. So anyway, my attitude is if you don't have the emotional need yourself, your spouse is going to have to give you a little help to make sure that meeting that need is enjoyable. So I think of the meeting of emotional needs as a responsibility on the one hand. I think that. I think that God intends us to be responsible for doing what it takes to make our spouses happy. But from the spouse that's receiving it, they have to think of it as a gift mm-hmm. and they have to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And they, they can't think of it as something that is assumed. Right. They have to be thankful for getting something that they need. So whether it's intimate conversation or whether it's, sexual fulfillment or even admiration. I think that 
we have to appreciate what we're getting from our spouse that we need. And we have to make it easy for them to meet that need. And right. so that requires a little bit of conversation to get sure. it right. Sure. And I was going to make a quick statement. So just for instance, you said one of the needs, physical attractiveness. Today's society has like reversed the shame. Guys or women that want their spouse to be physically attractive are considered shallow or, you know, canceled or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. And I think that's such a shame because you should want your spouse to be a better person, whether that be physically, whether that be mentally or spiritually. You should want every aspect. And, and of course, you want them to be physically attractive. So I, I would like to say to those who who have that need, don't feel ashamed of that because society today is telling you to be ashamed of that. And that is not right because it is OK to want somebody to look good. It's not you know, it's. Society is like congratulating so many people for the wrong things and everyone gets a participation trophy. It's like, no, there's a reason models are models because they work hard and yeah. they go after things. Yeah. You know? And it's like there, there, there's a book that was published this year, actually by the same publisher that publishes my book, who is very critical of his and attorneys because of the chapter I have on physical attractiveness. That's yeah. it. That's it. And, um, so the basic feeling I, I I have tried I've tried to defend myself on that particular need forever, yeah. but it is what got me to pay attention to Joyce. I got to tell you, <laughs> and still does. By the yep. way, I am still very attracted to her physically, and um, is it my number one emotional need? Maybe you know. All I know is that. It sure makes me happy just to look at her. You know? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. I think that, yeah. And I think for men to be embarrassed about their emotional needs is to ignore the fact that this is what men fall in love for. I mean, this is how you fall in love. And uh, for a spouse to ignore that is to do two things. Number one is you want your spouse to be in love with you. You know, you want your... You want to do what it takes to make your spouse fall in love with you. But also, it's a very important part of caring for your spouse. I think that looking good for your spouse is an act of care. And again, I try hard to defend myself, and but there are a lot of women out there, that, including my editors, that think I'm just not hitting the mark. <laughs> I, I agree yeah. 100%. And, and self-care is is something that is missing from men because it's it's it got such a stigma just like you know uh seeking therapy you know it, a lot of men just suppress everything and like there's a, an example in your book about a man who wasn't practicing self-care and then he's like my wife doesn't want to touch me it's well buddy you smell like a sack of garbage <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. i mean clean yourself up but then at the same time you mentioned that the wife can reward him uh for cleaning himself up for doing self-care so there, there are ways for you to work as a team for that specific problem. And that's one of the yeah. things I really loved in the book. So, yeah. yeah. And hygiene hygiene is a big, hygiene is a big part of physical attractiveness. Mm -hmm. so. And um, just so an ad today about a hygiene product where they said it's better than taking a shower. And I thought to myself, hmm, you know, they're on the right track there, I think. <laughs> well, just just for Dustin, since he couldn't make it, and he always does a shameless plug, 
I wish we could cue the Old Spice noise right now. <laughs> Just give a, a shameless plug to Old Spice. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, well, you know what the label says. You know, if your if your grandmother, if your grandfather hadn't used this, you wouldn't exist. Yeah, that's on Old Spice. That's funny. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering if you could just actually expand a little bit more on some of the flack you've taken, and and um, yeah. So we've covered physical attractiveness. I'm sure you took a lot of heat for you know sexual fulfillment, uh, especially in Lots. today. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's taken increased. Um, you know, notoriety. All the men's needs, right? Really, right. you think about all the men's needs. Um, you know, <laughs> domestic support, you can imagine the kind of flack I've gotten on right. that one. And even admiration is something that, you know, mm. well, they don't deserve it, you know. Mm. Uh, so if you think of the top five needs sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, uh, admiration, Sexual fulfill, um, physical um, attractiveness, physical attractiveness, uh, and then domestic support. <laughs> domestic support. I mean, yeah. women will argue on all of those mm -hmm. to say he shouldn't need it, and men will argue the same thing about the woman's needs. They'll say she wants too much conversation. Mm -hmm. She wants too much affection. Um, why is she so incredibly focused on honesty and openness? I, I don't like telling her about everything that's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be necessary. And, um, you know, it, 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 it is the lack of empathy for somebody that mm -hmm. isn't like you. And, um, I don't know if you ever I came, you, you, you came across uh, John Gray, of course, you know, men are from Mars. Very people, people don't know about his wife, ex, ex-wife, probably the third one in the lineup, Barbara DeAngelis. And uh, she actually taught him everything he ever knew about promoting himself. Mm. She was largely responsible for helping him with the book, Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Well, John Barbara G. Angelis wrote some other books too. And I love the book that, one of the books she wrote that starts her book out by saying that she um, has met an alien. And the alien is just so incredibly attractive and so interesting. And she's just so willing to spend time with him and she just perfect. And then the alien turns into this horrible person. And she says, that's what men are, aliens. <laughs> they start out being wonderful and they do everything that you want and, and you just can't, can't imagine not having a relationship. And then they turn into something that you don't like and that you eventually hate it. And it's just so annoying that you can't spend a moment with them. And I think that it's, it was a marvelous introduction to the book for her. And uh, just so funny. I mean, she is just the funniest writer. But I don't know that she's ever been successful with a man. Um, I wish I could help her. I wish she would yeah someday but the basic idea is yeah men can really turn into absolute horrible people mm -hmm. 
women can do the same thing, but not as much. My experience has been that men need more training in how to be a good husband and father than the average woman does. That's been my experience. I, I would say that, and, and this is tough to say to men, but I would say that 70% of marital problems are men's fault. Mm-hmm. And um, that a man needs more counseling than women. Now, I wrote his needs, her needs to be balanced. But you know what? I really wanted to reach men. Yeah, I wanted men to be able to read this book and say, you know, he understands me. He's on my side. Most of the books on marriage are all about meeting women's needs, really, when it comes right down to it. Very little about men meeting men's needs and not much about helping men out. And so I wrote his needs her to try to help men out. But technically, I want to help men out by teaching them how to meet yeah. women's emotional needs and how to be a great marriage partner. So my mission, to some extent, to a great extent, I would say, is to men. And I have felt this way throughout my entire career. I am far more effective in working with men. Because I think men need my help more than women do. Interesting. That, so seventy thirty, according to Doctor Harley. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good though. Um, you know, I think part of that might be kind of cultural too, right? It, it, I think you were you predicted it, right? Marriage is going to disappear back in the in the eighties. I think is what you said, but the the sexual revolution and things like that back in the sixties and seventies, obviously, mm-hmm. probably uh, sp- you know started that spiral um and you know just speaking personally looking at a lot of the challenges that my wife and i have faced i would i would argue that i'm you know definitely more on the 60 ish percent side of the thing there so <laughs> i i can uh, kind of support that anecdotally but um I, I did a focus group uh with um single millennial men and women hmm. and um it was fascinating to me absolutely fascinating uh because the men and women both, they were in separate groups, women in one group, men in another. They were all afraid of getting married. Um, they were not looking forward to getting married. They were saying that horrible things are going to happen to me if I get married. And what is interesting was that the women were afraid that men would take over and try to control me. And I wouldn't be able to resist them. I would become putty in their hands. All I need to do is be in love with a man, and I become a fool in a relationship with a man. Um, And the men were afraid of marriage because sooner or later, the wife's going to find somebody else, divorce him, and he'll be spending the rest of his life supporting some other guy that isn't working, that is living with his ex-wife, and spending his money raising the children. So they're afraid of going broke after they get divorced. So it's a a fear, a fear factor. And I think we have that today far more than what Joyce and I. Joyce and I had no fear whatsoever. We walked into our wedding chapel with great anticipation and with absolutely no regrets that we were going to get married. I never have. And I I can't say the same for millennial couples today. I think 
first of all, they have parents that have been divorced. Mm -hmm. And so they look at the parents and say, you know, this could happen to me. Right. Uh, and and my spouse could could turn, could become somebody else. And and the person that I think loves me and cares for me is all of a sudden going to decide, I don't want to do that anymore. When where will I be? So I think that in today's marriages, there's a lot of fear and to some extent, rightfully so. Right. Yeah. And something that added to that uh, 100% that made it epidemic, I'd say, is social media. Yeah. Yeah. Social media provides temptation everywhere and, and mm -hmm. causes a lot of issues within marriages. And affairs on, on how to have an affair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a websites on how to have an affair. Ashley Madison. It's, it's outrageous, out, absolutely outrageous that there would be a website on how to hook up with somebody that's married. Yeah. yeah. And um, we come across people that have used that website a lot. And then I try to help them recover from their affair. So yeah. it's, it's horrible. Worst thing that could you ever do to your spouse is to have an affair. Nothing worse. So um, I, we, we know that your, your time's wrapping up here, but um, one quick question. What is the biggest piece of advice you can give to a dad? Love his mother. Love, love the mother of your children. Um, the best thing you can give your children is to take good care of their mother. Um, Good. and then the next piece of advice I would say is raise your children as, as a partner with your wife, be partners in raising your children mm -hmm. and make your decisions together and make sure that they see you as an example of what they want you to be. And they're on the same page when it comes to training you. Right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, unfortunately, Dr. Harley did only have an hour with us, so he does need to go. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Harley, for joining us tonight. And uh, we sincerely appreciate your time. And, appreciate uh, being with you, too. Appreciate yeah. you giving me this opportunity. It was awesome. So it was it was really great to talk to you about the book and, Thanks, and Dr. Harley. You know, what, what's impacted yeah. so many lives. And uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you. All righty. So we're, we're going to keep going. Uh, Dr. Harley's going to go. I think he has a, a session to get to, so he's going to go ahead. And... I got more counseling to do. That's right. Tonight. The work is never done. <laughs> right. All right. Well, so my thank wife you. is a choir practice. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you, Dr. Right. Harley, and uh, we'll, okay. we will, uh, we'll see you later. Thank you so much. All right. Um, so that was obviously a, a very cool experience for us here. Um, yeah. And I forgot to mention at the start, because we wanted to be sensitive about time, um, Dustin, unfortunately, couldn't join tonight. He, he was traveling home from Europe and flight cancellations, delays, all kinds of crazy stuff. So he, I think, just landed maybe a few minutes ago uh -oh. uh, and unfortunately couldn't join. So we're really bummed about that. But uh, maybe we'll just have to get Dr. Harley back uh, sooner rather than later. So um, I want to take a quick moment, too, to say, uh, Dr. Harley, we will be sending you a, a, a beautiful Present Fathers podcast uh, thermos. And uh, this was designed and made by uh, Lunar Branding. So I want to take a minute. And Justin, if you can show off the, 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 the wonderful hat and the, tea, the uh, polo. Uh, we've got branded swag now. So uh, my good friend runs Lunar Branding. It is a creative ad agency that specializes in promotional products and swag. And they will work with you to maximize your marketing dollars and help you shoot for the moon. 
So uh, we will put a, a plug in here for uh, Lunar Branding. They helped us put all this together. They gave us all the ideas, the coaching about, hey, this is what looks good. This is what doesn't. Because um, honestly, I had no clue <laughs> what where to go with that. Um, but the the products are absolutely top notch. So, you know, I'm already looking at how I can use this for my civilian job uh, outside of this podcast for, uh, you know, giving thanks to my customers and things like that. But uh, had to take a minute and thank you, Greg, for for the awesome uh, swag. Um, let's let's go into just initial reactions, guys. Let's Brandon, unpack. Justin. Let's unpack. Yeah, let's unpack. That was a lot. All right. So I tried not to get too controversial and ask too much, but there was definitely some questions I wanted to ask, but time didn't allow um, just because we've had this conversation. Society really is blocking the way we want to speak and think and do. And I'm, I'm kind of glad we, we got to unpack a little bit of the, uh, the, the attractiveness yeah. thing and, and the sexual thing. And so it was good to hear his perspective because he seems very equalized in, mm -hmm. in the views of everybody, men, women, whatever. And it was just nice to hear, you know, him stick to his guns, even though other people have kind of tried to, to, to push back on that. And um, right. he, he stuck with what he believed in. And I love that. that that's his why, you know, like we've talked about. So I think mm. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Brandon, any, any initial thoughts, reactions? Man, I, I, I love that his version of boundaries is love busters and yeah. that, that he kind of, he kind of blew my mind a little bit in the <laughs> fact that the way I shot you down, right. The way I've never heard Brandon shut up. I was like, yeah, like the way I see boundaries definitively is different than what the way most people see boundaries. So uh, I guess uh, my wording and my outlook yeah. on that is I'm definitely going to use love busters instead. Like stop yeah. busting up your love, man. You know, that's, that was wonderful. And I think one of the things he touched on, that was in the guy's um, needs, which was recreational companionship. Um, that is such a vital thing. And in his book, he goes into um, describing that most men will go out with other men and do recreational mm -hmm. things. And he encourages, um, encourages men to always go out with their wives recreationally um, because the wife can be felt left out. Um, and there's just a bunch of other reasons he talks about in that chapter. Well, one of the biggest is like you're, you're missing an opportunity of one of the things that that fills your cup the most, you're basically cutting your wife out of the equation to even give you the, ch you know, giving her the chance to even do that for you, which right. builds romantic love. So it's like, give her the option, you know, give her the opportunity. Um, right, and right. I, I just, sorry to, on this one, no, it, was, it was such a mind blower for me. Cause like, you know, I I've done some of this kind of work, uh, in our, in our marriage counseling and things like that, you know, identifying what matters to the, and being empathetic to, to your spouse and, and that kind of thing. And, it wasn't like I, as I chewed on that chapter about recreational uh, activities together and how typically important that is for men, I started like unpacking. It's like, wow, you know what? That is really important to me. And yeah. I, I don't know why I haven't put more emphasis on like making sure that we're having those opportunities. So I did his worksheet and I, I made, I sat Whitney down. I was like, hey, fill this out real quick. And she's like, why? Yeah, I, got I explained it and she did it. And we were really surprised to see that like, there was a lot of things that we had in common that we both rated like top of the line, you know, Hey, these are things we really love to do yeah. that. I had just assumed she wouldn't want to do. Like one of them is NHL hockey. She oh, loves, wow. we can't do it all the time. It's expensive, right. but right. I, I thought she went with me one time years ago because uh, she was just like wanting to, you know, let me experience natural predators and, and, and seeing a game. And she was like, no, I love it. Like I want to do that all the time. And I was like, what, 
So we've been like for eight years, we haven't gone to a hockey game. And, uh, you know, here we go. Big miss. So anyway, go to his website, look at the the uh, worksheets. They may seem a little bit, you know, like oh, work, you know, but they're really easy. Just knock them out. And I promise it'll it'll raise some epiphanies. But sorry, yeah, back back to you. No, not at all. And to that point, um, there's a recommendation in his book where he says, go through it with like a certain color highlighter and highlight what stuck out to you, what's important to you as far as the needs when he lists them. Um, whatever examples just shine in the book, go through, highlight it, have your wife go through with a different color highlighter, highlight what sticks out, what's good for your her needs, have her do that, and then both of you go back through it together and see where the differentiation is in your highlighters, but not only that, but where you're similar, like you were saying, and so like, that's, man, that's a beautiful idea. Like I, I'm excited to do that with my wife, but um, yeah, rec recreational stuff. Like I, I always suggest just try everything with your wife because you never know what she'll end up loving and you'll end up loving. And then you can just do it all the time together. And that, that creates a, a healthy um, emotional intimacy and good conversation. Cause you have you know good time together. So yeah, that was exciting. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on, you know, he had mentioned that men have a tendency to close doors in certain parts of their lives because we compartmentalize everything, whereas women don't, you know, everything's just kind of fluid and, you know, seeming. And I think one of the biggest things based on reading his book that kind of spoke to me was our personal privacy as men kills emotional intimacy and emotional conversation with our wives. So, if you have been somebody that's um, been a, a private person or has uh, been forced to be a private person through the, the raising by your parent or parents, uh, I suggest absolutely being that be the first thing you work on. Open up to your wife. And I think that that alone is going to open up a whole world to you um, because you'll find that you have somebody to lean on um, yeah. instead of just thinking that you're alone in the process. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a beautiful point. I don't know if you guys had seen anything or heard anything that kind of stuck out for you. I'd love to hear it. Uh, I'm, I'm guilty of this, that lately Ainsley and I have had a conversation. I need to be more cognizant of the things that she asks and like, listen better. Um, just cause I get so phased out with work. And when I phase, like I phase hard, I don't hear things that I'm, I'm hearing, but I'm not hearing it. And, you know, that's that's my biggest downfall. So that's something I'm personally working on. And he's you know, that kind of brought that to my attention with this book. Um, I have not done the assessment yet. I wanted to let her watch this podcast um, and, you know, see what her thoughts were. And then hey, there he we're going to do this together. What's up? Dustin. Dustin. Oh, my God. Uh, you just missed it. Oh, man. Yeah. He's going to cry. He's going to yeah. cry. Hey, we'll, we'll get guys, it back just it, for you. Don't fly Iceland Air. Okay, well, okay. Now we yeah. know. Noted, noted. Well, Dustin, if it, if it makes you feel better, buddy, um, we're gonna really try hard to get Dr. Harley back on with his wife, and uh, you know, because she we had such a lovely conversation. She's such a yeah. lovely. Woman. She's the one who actually set this all up. Like, yeah, she yeah. Like and thank you, Joyce. Thank you yeah. so much. You're, thank you're you such so a much, lovely, you, Joyce. Lovely lady. Yes. Um, I, uh, so I'm never leaving my house again. So I'll be there. <laughs> Dustin, Dustin, real quick, did they have cookies on the flight? <laughs> we had nothing so get this there's no oh food on, on an international flight it's unbelievable there's what? an app nope. where you can order stuff but there's no menu and the app didn't work so so you oh. flew like eight hours with not like a snack or anything 
Yeah, I did an OMAD day. It was great. I took your advice, George. Jeez, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. Exactly. Well, man, we're really sorry that you got your whole family had to get bounced around and rough, rough travel day. So, um, yeah. I mean, if, if you need you to go are. rest, we got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'd love to chat with you guys if you got a few minutes. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. For a while. So, yeah. Uh, no worries. Actually, I, I wanted to ask you since this is one of your idols and I hate you missed him, which kind of sucks, but um, how would you say the book kind of changed your life or that, that Dr. Harley affected you in some way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, so I didn't have a lot of great male role models um, in terms of marriage relationships, but a lot of great dads, um, a lot of great uh, people at work, um, you know, a lot of skills, you know, a lot of love, all that. But as far as like lasting marriages, there's a few people in my family that have done well with it, but most of the men have not. They've just kind of struggled with um, either fidelity or um, just lots of reasons, you know, as I'm sure you learned over the past couple of hours chatting with Dr. Harley about why marriages fail. Um, and I saw a lot of examples of uh, what not to do, but didn't see a lot of examples of what to do. Um, and so I knew going into it, um, I wanted to be the exception to the rule. And uh, so I told Kim beforehand that, you know, I was going to do a lot of research. We do some soul searching together. And, um, you know, so we started with Dr. Harley's book. I honestly can't tell you where I got the recommendation from it. It might've been as something as simple as a Google search. Um, <laughs> I wish I could tell you exactly why I got turned on his material, but I read some other stuff. It didn't really inspire me. And then I read his material and went, Oh my gosh, this is really, really strong. You know, everything about it makes a lot of sense. He's a realist, but he's also an optimist. It, it just really spoke to me. Um, yeah. The Reddit talked to Kim about it. We talked about what our, um, you know, it's funny. I want to say love language because I almost feel like the people that wrote love language borrowed from. Oh, they ripped it off. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we talked about that. But anyway. Right here first. Dr. Harley did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but so as far as what my needs are, they're not the exact five male needs. Kim's needs aren't the exact five female needs, but they're pretty close. It was probably yeah. 60 40. And we were able to identify what our needs were and when they weren't being met um, and how important that was to us before we got married. Um, that put us on a rock solid um, foundation. And uh, yeah. we talk about it not as often as you should. Probably every couple of years, we'll go back and reference the material, you know, and, and mm -hmm. talk about it. And it's always great. It's honestly a lot of fun for us. You know, it's a great way to reconnect. And uh, it's a beautiful thing in our marriage because we both know that an untended marriage, just like an untended garden, will start to get overgrown with weeds. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, we, we know this, right? That friends who actively care for their marriages have great marriages and our friends that don't do that sometimes they're just amazing people and their marriages do great but that's definitely right. the exception not the rule yeah definitely so and that's actually a really good segue into one thing he recommended for parents is his needs her needs for parents oh yeah okay and this this really outlines that um you know Typically, what happens is parents put all their attention on the children, and for you know twenty years, your relationship gets put on a back burner, and then your kids leave the house, and basically you don't have a relationship anymore because it was all about the kids. So, yeah. uh, this is—I uh, haven't read it yet. I will admit, I'm going to do it uh, after this. <laughs> and uh, it apparently is the outline for how to, to how to ensure that you still, you know, like you were just saying, you're tending to that garden of your marriage and your relationship, which. He also just said with us that that's one of the most important things you can do as a father is to have a good marriage and relationship with uh, your children's mother. So, yeah, go check awesome. that book out, too. I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, that'll be great. 
I think all of us need to read it. Yeah. Of yeah. Course, yeah. Silly. yeah. No, I mean, romance with a mother is just as good, if not better, as you all know, than romance, you know, with um, either just your married wife or, you know, without kids. Um, but it's different, right? It, it has a totally different set of needs. Um, a lot more know, pre-planning involved. Red yeah. light, green light. Oh my gosh. Red light, green light. Exactly. Logistics. Yeah, you know, well, spontaneity is great when you're 25 and you're just dating. Spontaneity is really tough when you're 40 and you have a two-year-old. Yep. Really yeah. He gave yeah. us a statistic before yeah. the show that really surprised us all. Mm -hmm. um, so, sorry to, to interrupt. This is before no, I forget please. what the this is really good. was. Yeah. So, he told us that the first year of marriage is the second most was it second correct george do you remember i think it was well he said there was there's likely. two there's two distinct moments in in marriage typically statistically that most divorced. people get divorced <laughs> and one of them was what you were just about to say so it's the year one of, of the marriage, marriage. yep because okay. it's like after after the romance falls off people realize oh this person's horrible and the the second which was very surprising to me which I guess it shouldn't be for some, but the the first year of your child's life. Yes. People get divorced on the first year of the child's life? Oh, yeah. yeah. So he said statistically, those are the two years where most divorces happen. Oh, my God. I feel like I was the baby out for a couple of years yeah. just for the baby, but I guess yeah. it's so hard you just can't. Yeah. Yeah, because oh, it yeah. is tough. You know, that's something we don't talk about as dads a lot. But yeah, the first year is very hard because you have no clue what you're doing. The mother has instincts and they're they're just killing you and everything. And well, and both easily... both both parties are not getting their needs met. Their needs met. Well, I could talk <laughs> uh, uh, because so much of it gets focused on the baby. Right. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I get from from a very, you know, statistical point of view, I can see how that happens. And yeah, that that and affairs occur because like nine out of 10 times an affair is going to start emotionally. It's just somebody at your office just the going out of their way yeah. to be nice emotionally. Just and then the, the feelings start creeping in. You're emotionally yeah. attached to them. And then out of nowhere, you you swear you'll never be physical and then boom, it just hits physical. Right. And so yeah. you have to safeguard your marriage fiercely like you cannot allow women to have emotional connections with you I other than man. your wife, you know, cause if, if you do, man, you're, you're treading in dangerous, dangerous waters. I mean, I wouldn't throw chum out into an ocean and Hey, <laughs> just jump out in there. You know, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's just stupid. And there's a lot we're of men that do that. Just sharks. We're just sharks. Just circling. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I love it. like, I mean, you wouldn't do that. So why yeah. in the world would you become emotionally attached to somebody that's not yeah. your wife? You know, and, and he so, talks about that at length in his needs, her needs, mm -hmm. and how yep. you know it, it forms an irrational response to something that, and that, that's how he even highlights you know committed people with principles uh, mm -hmm. do it all the time because it it creates it's like a drug you know it creates this yeah. emotional irrational reaction um, and and you basically brought it upon yourself in, in essence yeah. so yeah I mean yeah pretty. Yes. It, it's definitely thought provoking and it, especially, you know, Justin, you brought it up earlier, social media. I mean, that, that's part of why I deleted social media. It was just, it's, it's distraction. It's uh, one, it's nice to just unplug and not worry about all that kind of crap. But right. um, I mean, yeah, it's everywhere, man. Like Instagram, it's TikTok, temptation. all that kind of stuff. It's just, yeah. And, and you'll have uh, somebody who is very good looking on the in outside. I don't want to, I don't want to. So yeah. I mean, it's just inside and they just jump. It's just another avenue for someone to tempt you yeah. or any of that kind of crap. And so, I mean, quite mm -hmm. frankly, it's just easier to not deal with it. 
<laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Take stuff yeah. out of the situation. It's the best yep. way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about willpower. It's about availability. And if you're constantly putting yourself... Chris Rock isn't 100% accurate about this because obviously we have control over this, but I'm sure you've heard the joke, a man is as faithful as his options. Mm. <laughs> right? So he talks about that a little bit. But because it's true, if you have a ton of options in front of you and you put yourself in a dangerous situation all the mm. time, there are some just unbelievable men out there who can say no to that. But, uh, you know, even if you do and you never have an affair, that's emotional time that you could have been right. building with your wife and you're building it with another woman instead. And so it's an that, emotional affair. Yeah. yeah. What was the point of that? Exactly. You would have been better off building those beautiful relationships with your wife. Um, yeah. Can I, can it's I talk cool. to you real quick about Munich and Oktoberfest and how? Yeah. 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 Let's That's hear all about, about it. I was yeah, about yeah. to ask you about it. How was oh it? My gosh, you have to go. Just don't fly Iceland there. <laughs> Sponsor <laughs> Delta. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Fly Delta. Lufthansa. Yeah, Lufthansa, <laughs> great. Exactly. All good options. So um, got there, uh, stayed at great hotels. We went to the Eagle's Nest, um, which is uh, Hitler's bunker and hideout. Yep. It was incredible. Um, he was like two hours from getting out of Berlin and escaping to his, you know, uh, his hideout, like his basically evil mountain layer, you know, and they never would have caught him probably. Wow. So, I mean, we're so lucky we caught him in Berlin and, you know, got, got rid of him. Um, Oktoberfest was absolutely amazing. And it hadn't happened in two years. So this was three years of, kind oh, of wow. excitement. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the city oh, wow. was so much energy, so much excitement, very friendly, very um, happy people. I speak pretty good German, so it was super exciting getting to chat with other Germans awesome. and you know, be able to use the language. I'm kind of exhausted from a week of using a foreign language. It really wears you out. Yeah. Um, but it, that was really cool. Um, we went to Neuschwanstein Castle. I'm sure you guys saw the photo that I posted. You get on this rickety old scary bridge that it just is like over a gap of nothing. So if you go too far left or right, like you will fall. Um, so I'm leaning back, trying to get the perfect photo, and I'm like, I've had enough fall, and it's like raining on us and windy, and just you know, create crazy day. But, yeah, I mean, beautiful. Oh, so no. the Disney Castle is that, that's, modeled. Yeah, after I was gonna say it. it's got the real big spires on it, right? Very, very yep. sharp. Yeah, exactly. So Walt Disney copied this castle in southern Germany when he wanted to uh, build his castle. Um, yeah, wow. went to Austria. That's an incredible country. Really, really beautiful, wonderful people. Um, and I think where, I where did you go in Austria? Uh, Salzburg, Salzburg, uh, birthplace of Mozart. You, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so we got to see Mozart's house, that was yep. really cool. Oh, yeah, awesome, yep. man. Yeah, and of I've course, the place of Arnold Schwarzenegger, not not Salzburg, near there. No, put the cookie uh, down. Did you yeah, go, to, did you go up on the uh, did you go up to the Festung, the giant uh, fortress? No, oh, that dude, was crazy. Really cool. I know it. You know, and if we changed the trip a little bit, we could have spent more time in Austria and less in Munich. But we're having so much fun at the Deutsches Museum, which is yeah. I think mm. the largest museum in the world, at least of its kind, is the science and technology. They had an entire like ten thousand square foot room devoted just to bridges. Wow. They, the Germans are all <laughs> about efficiency, and um, one of our guys gets on the autobahn and just starts going one hundred and twenty miles an hour out of nowhere without warning us, and we're all like, "Whoa, what is going on?" And he's like, "You can drive as fast as you want here, you know, don't worry about it." That's funny. And I'm looking at That's the needle, amazing. it's 260 km, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's in this van, right? Just booking it. <laughs> in a van? A van? <laughs> in a van. You have lost your life, bro. <laughs> I'd be white knuckling it, man. That's, that's a little fast in a van. You're flying in a brick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. Tires are only rated to certain speeds. And no, no, I was like, this is for that. Oh, man. Yeah. And so on the way back, um, airlines can kind of legally do this. 
they denied us boarding due to overbooking. Um, so there's 300 people getting on the flight. We happen to be the lucky ones that they overbooked. There were two people who couldn't get on the flight. It was us. So when that happens, the airline owes you like $2,000 in compensation. Plus they have to get you on a flight the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would have been cool, but, uh, they said, Oh, we can get you on a flight to San Francisco back to Orlando today. (laughs) If you hurry. Right. So we go, okay, great. We'll take the Lufthansa flight. You know, we'll do that because that's cheaper for them to buy you a ticket than it is to pay you all this cash. Well, we get there, we get to the gate and the lady says, we see your name booked on the reservation, but you don't have a ticket. So I can't let you on this flight. And so we go, you got to be kidding me, like help. And then we see the full plane leave. And she's like, I, you know, I tried to help you. I couldn't do it, whatever. So then we call Iceland Air back because there's no Iceland Air terminal anywhere in Munich. And they said, well, the flights are all full on the flight the next day to Orlando. So we can't help you. We can get you out on like Friday. So I was nice on the phone. And then Kim, kind of a boss, um, gets on the phone and says, I wouldn't want to piss her off. (laughs) Not acceptable. Mama Bear was tired. (laughs) Mama Bear was exhausted, got on the phone and Mama Bear got it done. They said, well, um, turns out we can sneak you through Boston, then to Orlando after that. And she said, that's fine. Whatever. We'll take that. So. So you're you're, in Boston Boston. right now? I'm in Boston, Logan, um, at a $400 a night hotel. So thanks. That's nice. 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 Um, So I don't know why airlines do this because it costs them so much money when they screw up like this. But it must save them money in the long run. I don't know. I've got to tell you just a quick story. So our honeymoon to Bora Bora last year when we got married, Ains and I were supposed to take a connector flight from uh, LAX to Bora Bora. Now, there's only two flights. There's one in the middle of the day, and there's one that's a red eye at 1 a.m. in the morning, and that's 1 a.m. our time. It's 3 a.m. in L.A. So we get to L.A. We hang out for three or four hours. We're waiting to get on this flight. We had booked this six months in advance of the travel agency. Well, the French ambassador with French Polynesia decided during COVID that they were going to enact an EDIS form. This happened like a few days before we went and nobody told anybody, not Mm. travel agencies, not a letter that went out to anybody, nothing. So we get all the way to LA flying from Lafayette, Louisiana to Houston, Houston to LA. And it's one o'clock in the morning. We're trying to get on this plane. There's, and we're, my wife and I, you know, whether people like this or not, we're vaccinated because we're both in medical. Um, This was a big thing. They were letting people who had, just nothing going on. No vaccinations, no cares, barely a passport. You know, all these people are getting on, they're drunk, they're acting a fool. And we're just sitting there, you know, trying to get to our honeymoon. Well, long story short, they lose our luggage. We don't get it back till 3.30 in the morning, which is probably like 5.30 our time. Um, they tell us they'll get us on a flight a day and a half later. So we, we ended up hanging out with one of our girlfriends from uh, dental school that was her roommate. And we made it like a little trip out of it, but my wife at the time was like, why would this happen? Why would this happen? And I'm like, look, you just got to have faith. You know, there's a reason for this. The plane could go down. You know, we, we don't know. And obviously the plane did not go down, but uh, <laughs> we had to reschedule all of her patients, everything. A month later, we get out there. We have the EDIS form. We get there. They let us on the flight and we are so ecstatic. Well, we ended up, uh, that's where... Bennett came from <laughs> was that that trip 
So God was saying, hey, man, hold your horses. We got something in store for you. So it's just kind of funny that like I've dealt with something similar and I can't tell you how frustrating it is to see your wife for sure. Yeah. Amen, brother. Well, you got a baby out of the deal, so it could have been a lot worse. That's Absolutely. Well, uh, you got Munich. Yeah. What's an Edis form? Edis form is like just saying you you get permission to come into the country. That's mm -hmm. all it is. Okay. All you have to do is get some French ambassador to say, oh, yeah, they're cleared to come in. I thought a passport was for that, evidently. It's yeah. not. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, we're glad Munich was awesome and the rest of... Uh, Germany and Austria. Uh, I'm jealous. Unfortunate that your travel home was uh, not so great, but I guess, you know, can't really control that. So um, wanted to bring it back on topic a little bit here. Uh, so I wanted, J Dustin, since it was your recommendation to, to read this book in the first place, and then it spawned into interviewing Dr. Harley, what was probably the, you know, the thing from that book that stuck out the most to you? Um, when you had first read it and, and you still think that that's the most, you know, the most uh, important thing you learned from it or has that kind of evolved over time? I think um, just the first thing that pops into my head is our popular culture tells us that men's sexual needs don't matter, right? That if you as a husband, you know, are not happy with sex, like that's just kind of part of marriage and that you're expected, you know, as marriages go on, it's kind of a running joke, right? Is that, mm -hmm. you know, sex is rare and kind of terrible, you know, in marriages after a few years. That's just kind of um, how they're supposed to be. And I don't know who created that idea, whether it was sitcoms or where it came into our popular culture. But I mean, that idea is, is ruinous towards marriages, right? Because that's a basic fundamental need that men have. And it is okay as a man to say, I am sexually unsatisfied. You know, can you please help? Um, so that that's really what stuck out to me the most. Um, let me, uh, sorry, we got room service coming in. I'm just getting super hungry. Let me grab this real quick. <laughs> I'm going to jump off. You and food, never. <laughs> All right. Um, Justin, same question to you. Uh, what, what was like the most, you know, the thing that surprised you most about reading that book? Surprised me most. I'd probably have to say um, just the the simplicity to it. You know, mm -hmm. we don't think about the other person's needs so much as we're thinking mm -hmm. about like problems and how to solve them. Right. And we don't realize that their needs are the the solution. Yeah. <laughs> I guess because you know we're guys. We eat meat. We're dumb. You know. <laughs> so we kind of need a little guidance every now yeah. and again. And so, yeah, I mean, like, and it's kind of funny because it's happening at a time like where Ainsley and I are in, um, you know, a, a spot with a new baby and we're tired and we're exhausted. And, you know, she had a little postpartum. So like both of us are just worn completely out and, you know, we're already at that end of the rope every day um, with our own lives. And so with each other, it, it gets stressful um, just because. You know, we're, we're trying to make things work for each other. We're trying to make things work for his schedule because he has a very needy schedule. And yeah. my wife's the one that shoulders most of that. And, you know, and I, I tried to explain, you know, later in life, I'll be the one that shoulders baseball practices and sports and everything else or whatever he's interested in school, that kind of stuff. 
but it's it's you know as a man unfortunately you you feel like you're doing enough but sometimes you're not and that's something that was kind of eye-opening for me was that i looked inwardly to my marriage and realized that i could be doing better for ainsley and for my wife and just you know letting her have the support that she needs because i feel like i'm doing enough but there's things that i'm not hearing or seeing or doing and so it's 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 played a little bit uh it's in the back of my mind uh and this book helped bring that to light so that i think that would be the answer to that question i guess the best way i could say it okay it's good dustin sorry didn't you you were going to get some grub so it was yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kim's taking a shower. She is absolutely exhausted. That was yeah. uh, that was a lot okay. of trouble. Um, yeah, so that that really stuck out to me. And then, you know, for me, I I think affection is probably more important to me than it is to Kim. Uh, generally speaking, um, her needs are more for um, uh, conversation, openness. Um, you know, those, those are kind of bigger things for her. And uh, so, you know, that was important, kind of nailing that down because to me. Um, if my, you know, if I have a need for affection or a need, you know, for sexual gratification or something like that, my thought would have been, well, I'll just be really nice and say nice things and bring flowers <laughs> and, uh, you know, rub her back, yeah. whatever. That is not her. I mean, you know, she, she likes that, but that's not yeah. the most important thing to her at all. And so right. I was, I think not meeting a lot of her needs, not because again, as Dr. Harley says, out of ignorance and not necessarily because of malice, I did not want to meet her needs. I wasn't trying to be lazy. I just didn't know what was important to her and what was not um, right so I was meeting needs that were not important to her but i was not meeting her important needs and so right by that it's like waste of, in a way it's yeah, a awesome effort. way to put it yeah a lot of wasted effort exactly yeah. yep and then i feel badly because i put all this effort in right you're like hey i did all this why isn't it yeah yeah come on yeah let's you know that was a little fun and uh, it was not working <laughs> but, um, but easily fixed right i mean it wasn't like this was this insurmountable problem where you know we're just never going to be compatible it was just mm -hmm um let's talk about what our needs are and you know oh yeah. those not being met let me work on that put my effort into a better place it's very um you know i think it's important to look at marriages the same way you do other types of relationships we think it's a special thing where you're just supposed to know right and it is a very special thing but what you need to do to have a functional relationship with your boss or um or your kids or your friends is often very similar to what you need for a functional relationship with your wife. Uh, and that's very hard for us, I think, to appreciate and understand because it seems like it shouldn't require the same kind of skills, but it, it really does. Yeah. Uh, and it's even more complicated because you're with this person a lot more than anyone else. You're in their space and in their face constantly. And you're yeah. dealing with the stress of a child, uh, schedules for you, for them, for you know, everything you're dealing with financial burdens, you're dealing with everything together. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. If you don't have love there, there's no way. Of that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, uh, one of the things that you kind of hit on right there was, you know, us men, we're, we're so simplistic in our approach to meet their needs because we want our needs met. So there's always this ulterior motive. And it's yeah. like, if we can just be genuine and intentional in meeting their needs, that the, our needs, if they know them and they, they know what we want, should be something that naturally occurs. Like sex, for example, you treat your wife well intentionally and genuinely, and it's not with an ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I bought her these flowers so I can have sex later. No, right. it's, yeah. I'm going to be intentional. Eat these chocolates. Her. Right. I'm going to yeah. meet her needs. And then it's just going to be a natural flowing thing. You know? So uh, Yeah, that, that's a great point. Oh my God, yeah, I think that's so one bad. thing, guys. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think that's one of the things that guys do, and we need to yeah. fix that. Well, know? I think we've been. I think there's a lot of like bad training about that, right? Like it's, it's, it's like. I mean, we're laughing about it, but I think that that's been pushed in our society, right? Oh, buy her cards, buy her flowers, and that's what will make her love you. And it's like that's not why she loved you in the first place. Like that's not why she was attracted to you in the first Chocolates place. Chocolates and right? diamonds, baby. Chocolates yeah. So, ma'am, I'm your plumber. I'm here to lay some pipes. <laughs> You think like, I'm so funny. You guys oh, are All right, oh, we gotta Dustin. stop. We gotta get out of here. Oh, um, yeah, Dustin, I was curious why you didn't get your buddies at the Space Force to bring you. Home. <laughs> <laughs> nice shirt, buddy. Well, <laughs> try to get this one next time. Okay, let me. Okay, there we go. Gonna, yeah, uh, that's funny. <laughs> oh god. But no, so the to answer my part here. Ju- just as much as we're intentional with our kids. And this is what stuck out for me is that as much as we're intentional with our kids, we have to be that much more intentional with our, our wives. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, we have to model what's healthy for our children. And, you know, our children will see us in such a more positive light um, as they grow up when they see a dad who loves their mom Mm -hmm. um, so intentionally and genuinely and meets her needs and then it'll help them to be able to voice what their needs are and look for somebody yeah. that'll meet those needs in a proper manner when they're older and they get married. So that's what really stuck out for me besides the whole privacy killing intimate and emotional connection. Yeah. Um, and then the recreational companionship. That was that was kind of a brilliant aha moment for me as well. I mean, I was sitting there mowing the yard and I heard that. And I was like, I had to stop the mower. And I'm like, man, all right, I, I got yeah. something on my list to add, you know, and so yeah. it was. It was definitely well yeah. to add to that point, actually, real quick, the most significant thing I said, I think he said tonight, especially with children and what they pick up from us, do not ever, especially as the male, lose your temper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keeping a calm, cool demeanor, no matter what the situation teaches your kid how to be or if it's a boy, be a man, a girl, be a woman, mm-hmm. you know, being able to handle stressors and, you know, have emotional intelligence not to respond to things negatively. Yeah. And that's something that's so hard when you're in a charge situation with a spouse or with a friend or a family member. So it's it's yep. nice and refreshing to hear him voice that because I'm like, we're all guilty of that. And yeah. I've only met one or two guys I've ever seen who never lost their cool. And I'll tell you what, they were some of the coolest guys too. Mm-hmm. Like they had great marriages, they had yeah. no issues in their life, and it was because they can always stay even keel. Yeah. And and again, that goes back to episode, I think it was two. Uh, on emotional regulation and emotional intelligence. When when you practice these things for yourself, they become a byproduct of how you act around your wife and your kids. And that man, it, it, it's like, that's why we cover these certain topics is because when you can hammer each of these topics one by one and you, you take, it's like, you know, climbing a mountain of fatherhood, you know, you're taking one step at a time. And before you know it, you're at the top of the mountain. And you're one of those glorious guys that's like, I climbed Everest, you know, but it's like the dad version, you know, it's like, I don't lose my crap when I have no sleep and my kids throwing stuff at my TV or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's like, you got to stay cool in those kind of situations. So, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> um, I, for me, the thing that stuck out the most was, uh, for, we already talked about the, uh, recreational piece. That was like a total aha moment. Um, but just personally, um, you know, my wife and I have done tons of counseling, lots, a lot of work in our marriage, uh, getting through a lot of different challenges. And it was just kind of like 
reinvigorating for me reading this book and be like, wow, we are doing a lot of these things right. You know, it was like, it was, it was a, it was another source saying, Hey, these are the things that make a good marriage. And, you know, I, it's not like I asked him to just tell me that, you know, that's, that's what you do. So it was, it was like validating in a sense to see that a lot of the practices we put in place, uh, you know, through a lot of blood, sweat and tears are good and it is good for our, uh, our marriage and stuff. So <clears throat> that for me was, uh, you know, kind of a, a nice surprise reading this one. Um, but yeah, I kind of wish I would have had this book, you know, 10 years ago, and maybe I wouldn't have needed to have so many blood, sweat and tears. So uh, if you haven't read this book, do yourself a favor, go read it. Uh, it'll probably make you consider a couple things. The other point I wanted to really make is, yeah, he's taken a lot of flack for these, say, you know, these things, physical attractiveness and sexual needs and all these kinds of things. But he reiterated it tonight in several occasions that a lot of the responsibility is on men, not not women go have sex with your husbands, right? And and when I was reading that too, when I was reading the book, you know, I was feeling very convicted on several aspects like men, you know, like I have to, I need to provide this more in, intently for my wife. <clears throat> like Brandon, you just said, you know, purposefully um, and, and being intentional about those things. Um, you know, that that's, uh, that's a good challenge. It's a good call to action uh, as men that, you know, so he uh, just to be clear, I, I didn't get the sense that he was attacking women or something. Um, I, mm -hmm. I think I think he said it and multiple examples tonight he gave were, you know, here, men, these are the things you need to do. Yeah, so we're in the wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so the other thing, too, I, I just love about the the simplicity of the book is it's like it's just common sense, like make them happy. Yeah. They're going to in turn eventually make you happy, too. And, you know, don't don't do it like a. a sleazy you know car salesman or something like use car salesman but uh, analogy, like uh, bro. i used to be a car salesman <laughs> well okay there's a there's a stereotype about used car salesman for a reason just saying but, hey um, what you say buddy <laughs> thanks all right uh let me think of another one don't don't what do, do it in a, army guys in no. a manipulative <laughs> way what even marines need heroes but uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um yeah be intentional about it. Marines. No. Be intentional. Oh, come on. We're just joking. Um, yeah. So a uh, good yeah. good point from Logan. Your kid, here, We're going to start this one. Let's see if it, I think I can show it. There we go. Your kids watch every single day. If you have a daughter, she will look for someone like you and expect to be treated like you've treated her mom. Vice versa with a son. It sets grid standards. Great, great point, Logan. Um, I think we talked about that. There's several episodes now how important it is uh, being intentional and, and being a good example. So uh, that's another one where uh, we'll, we'll, we, we talked about strong fathers, strong daughters heavily, how important that is, setting that example. So thanks for that comment, Logan. Yeah, and thanks, Keith, for your comment, 210. That's a gaming <laughs> buddy of mine. Okay, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And thanks to everyone in the chat for, for sticking in with us and, uh, and appreciate you being in. here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this, this was personally really exciting for us to to be able to interview Dr. Harley. Um, Dustin, any other points about the book or things that you've studied from him? I know it's, you're exhausted and it's getting late, so I don't want to hold no. you longer than, than you want to be here. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the real key with it, you know, he talks about it in the book a little bit, how it is valuable to read it by yourself, but it's something you really should do with your spouse. I mean, I think the, the insights that you get by doing it together um, are much more valuable. So this is, you know, definitely a, a two-way street where, because it's individual to everyone, right? I mean, mm -hmm. every single person who reads this book is going to complete, they're going to get a completely different reaction from it, you know, as to 
what their yeah. needs are, uh, what their spouse's needs are. And a lot of times that changes. I think my needs have changed a lot in the past 10 years. I don't think I have the same, you know, top three needs, let's say now that I did, uh, you know, when I was in my 20s. And so, you know, looking at it every couple of years and, you know, kind of um, figuring out what your needs are, where they're being met, where they're not, uh, I think is all, it, it's a lot of fun um, for us. It's a chance to talk about um, you know, one of the things that we, we love the most, which is, which is our relationship together. Um, and having that, you know, that excuse or that opportunity to go over that kind of stuff is just, is super fun and valuable. Yeah. And, and the fact he says that relationships, even when they hit rock bottom or you feel like you're at the end of your rope, he's like, that's the beauty of it, man. Like just reignite it. It's just, he said, it was just like a, a candle, like just light it back up. You just got to mm -hmm. put some work into it. Like you said, a garden. Uh, you know, there's ups and downs and everything in life. And it's just nice to hear that someone who has counseled this many people have said they've seen, he's seen people get divorced and get back together. And like, you know, there's, there's hope for any and every relationship. It's just taking the time to work on that relationship. And we yeah. forget that sometimes we're human, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's really easy to get caught up in our own, like, you know, the, the blinders are on, so to speak. Yeah, daily routines. And, routine, and like you that. just, you know, and people are we're, we're selfish sometimes. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I remember I wanted to hit on one thing that, like, it was just so clear reading the, the chapter about, um, you know, sexual fulfillment is, like, I feel we live in this world where you're not supposed to, like, talk about that with your spouse, right? Like, like what does or doesn't make you happy when it comes to that aspect and it's like, it's so stupid. Like, like, you know, the, the lie, like, oh, well, a real man should just know how to make her happy or she should just know how to make you happy type of thing. It's like, well, not everyone's the same. So like, sit down, have a conversation. Hey, I don't like it when you do that. Don't do that again. Oh, okay. I didn't know. You know, it's like, I don't know why, but I think at least for me too, like I thought like, oh, when we get married, you know, we should just like, you know, kind of have that all figured out and everything. And it should be like this right. well-oiled machine, so to speak. It's like, well, not really. Cause like, you know, just... So sit down, do yourself a favor if you haven't, sit down with your spouse, talk about the things that work for you and don't, um, yeah. and every couple's different. And I think that that will go a long way too for a lot of people is having yeah. that open conversation about it. Because in a lot of ways too, it builds intimacy in a, on an emotional state, not physically, uh, because you are being very candid about a very private thing. So um, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, to touch on that too is... We need to always have a reserve of grace for our wives and for ourselves on a daily basis. So like I always try to make sure I have a certain measure of grace when it comes to things, because we all mess up. We all say things that might anger each other. But I mean, if you give grace instead of anger, I mean, it's just going to be such a, a, a much better situation there. So, yeah. Uh, great comment from, from Q. Thank you. Uh, simple task that I need to improve in is checking in with my wife throughout the week, ask her how her day was, how she's doing, give her the daily hug and kiss. Yeah. I, I, and that's something he really calls out in that chapter about, um, affection is to, to guys, we like communicate to share information. Like we don't, I don't, I don't need Justin to text me and be like, Hey man, you know, I appreciate your friendship. Like I know we're friends. I don't need him to tell me all the time. 
but your wife whiskey i might just (laughs) 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 but yeah that's a great point with your wife just it's it's a little thing for you to do but to her it's received with such a a huge impact right and because Mm -hmm. women think about it very differently than we do and and i think that that's something he actually outlines in the book pretty well is to just just do it like just take take a second because what it says to your wife is i i'm willing to set aside all these other things I need to be doing right now to just focus on you for just a few minutes and, and let you know that I was thinking about you. And it's such a simple thing. Yeah, and I think it goes a long way. Um, yep. and, and that, that, that kind of thing too. even try, this is something just to put it out there before you have sex, sit there together in bed together and talk about just things. And then, because for her that, that, you know, it, it's building that connection and that intimacy that if you haven't tried that, give that a shot. Um, yep. But great, great point, um, Q. Thank you for that. And then Logan also had another good one. Can't expect what you don't inspect. <laughs> Relates to being intentional with your relationship as well as with your spouse. So Absolutely. also a, a great one there. Thanks, guys, for the comments. Yeah, love, love the interaction, guys. Thanks. Yeah, and I, one thing I want to say about the getting home and, and you know giving her a kiss and a hug Um I do that specifically with my wife every single day. And I do it before I greet my children because I want my children to know that my wife is the priority before them. Um, and it's not like in a, a menacing or a bad way. It's just, you know, she comes before all else and then the kids and then mm-hmm. everybody else in the world. That's, that's the way God designed it and instructed it. And so like, obviously I'm going to always hug and kiss my children too. When I get home, right. I'm, I'm very intentional. That's, that's every single day. And, you know, one of the things if, if, if a dad is facing a, a wife who's upset when they don't get that is their dad might have done that for them growing up. Like my daughter, she, mm. she's going to have that. And if a guy doesn't meet that need, she needs to express that. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's a, a very good, um, very simple task that makes such a huge impact on a daily basis for sure. And I, I've seen that instructed in numerous books, too. So I don't, it's not like mm-hmm. it's a one off thing that you're doing. Yep. I, I've yep. seen that validated by a lot of sources so mm-hmm. yeah it's a good one absolutely absolutely all right boys it, it's reaffirming yeah. that your relationship with your wife is strong and important and, and so you know kids want that foundation and that security blanket and it it subconsciously gives that to them so it's not initially it kind of sounds like oh you're stiff arming the kid you know but no, it's, yeah yeah it's no. actually it actually oh. builds safety for them i think if you're not routinely making your kids say "ooh, gross because you're kissing your wife, yeah. you're making a mistake. That's a yeah. great, satisfying thing. Even at age two now, Lucas mm-hmm. will see me kiss Kim, and uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. It starts so young, and it's so much fun uh, because it's um, it does it sets a great precedent and um, it models behavior for them. You know, I mean, I think my son is going to understand how a man should treat his wife. Um, you know, from seeing it for years with us modeling that behavior, and that's that's huge. Yeah, so uh, I guess we can wrap it up so we can let <laughs> Dusty get out of here. Yeah, I'm sure. get some food and some sleep. Uh, he needs some some sleep and some cuddles. So um, the big bear needs his love. So I, the next episode is going to be something that uh, my wife has been an absolute all-star, rock star. You know, she's been the best. And she has had our son sleeping since week five. She knows all the best gadgets, you know gizmos all the good stuff she knows schedules she's read a bunch of books um so i want to go into a few of those books um and i'm sure you guys have heard of um some of them and i'll i'll put the 
the books out there on on our discord because there's multiple books um but we definitely want to focus on a number of different things in the next podcast like schedule and you know adapting to new fatherhood the fears that come with it the anxiety how you can be uh more helpful for your your spouse because there was things i missed uh, i'm sure that we all miss especially in the hospital things that your wife may need or, or items you know just being prepared because preparedness with the child is probably one of the best things you can have so um we're gonna we're gonna do that uh and then also if you if you're a first time viewer please 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 uh subscribe and smack that little bell on youtube so you <laughs> can you get go. a notification when we go live that would mean a whole lot you guys uh you know continuing to watch us um because without you guys and support we're uh we're not going to get anywhere so yeah uh, we're trying to help as many people as we can so men- um we want to mention our facebook as well um, we have a facebook group so you can talk about fatherhood talk about the things um that you need to talk about or if you have issues you want to vent or you know you want to talk to us privately feel free to do that join that um, so we have multiple avenues of, of social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram, we've got it all. So um, we'll have those those shameless plugs in the details on, <laughs> on YouTube, but uh, yep. I'll let George take us out. And uh, yeah, no, go ahead, Brandon. You guys. You're on mute, brother. He's muted. The okay, sorry. Before, yeah, before uh, we leave, I, I had two years of German in college. And all I have to say to Dustin is, Lege den Kexen. Which means put the cookie down in German. <laughs> oh my god! Nice. Oh nice. wow! It's the only time I've ever got to use German. So, Dad joke. Know. I yeah. love it. Dad joke. I love it. You All right. The double knife hand. Dad joke. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, let's recap. Thank you, Dr. Harley, and and thank you, Absolutely. Joyce, for helping us set this up. Uh, you were you were actually so awesome to work with and getting set up. Uh, I hope we can have you both back. Uh, cause I, I'd be really excited to have you on with us. Um, thanks for the time and, and, uh, you know, gracing us with your presence and, and having the conversations we had. Um, yeah, like Justin said, hit us up on all the social media, please like the channel or subscribe to the channel, like the video, share it with people that you think would benefit from this. Um, so we can hopefully help some more people out there and, uh, just thank you all, everyone who supports us and appreciate it so much. And, uh, Remember to check in on marriagebuilders.com. That is Dr. Harley's website. There is a ridiculous amount of resources there. It has all his books, mm-hmm. audiobooks, the worksheets, the, the little things you can walk through with your wife for free um, and kind of have those epiphanies of what does, uh, you know, what, what are areas in which you guys can uh, do things together that are going to work better for you. Um, and then thanks again, Greg, uh, Lunar Branding, for the, the awesome gear. So uh, we're, I, I'm still waiting on my shirt and my hat. Uh, the, the, I'll definitely have those in the next podcast. But you mean these? Uh, we're going to, yeah, yeah. I guess Justin lives close to the distribution center. He beat us to it. But yeah, you're looking slick, man. You're looking a lot better than us right now. So um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Next episode, advice for new dads, lots of, a whole lot of stuff. So Justin will anchor it since he is the, the most recently new dad of us. But I yeah. think those of us who have been here a little bit longer still have some good advice on that arena um and just yeah we're super excited for for everything that we're doing here and uh hope that uh this has been beneficial so take care gentlemen we're gonna roll the outro if i can find it i'm a, I'm a boomer here we go thanks for watching this episode of the present fathers podcast please be sure to like this video subscribe to our channel 
and turn on notifications so you can know when we go live next. Also be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and our Discord channel. It's our desire to grow this fathership together and support dads out there. If you think this channel would be beneficial to someone you know, please share it with them. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.